This is episode two of three of the Paul Whalen interview. Well, your definition of selling, why don't you say it? My definition of selling is the modification of the behavior of another person without that person necessarily knowing their behaviors being modified in order to arrive at a mutually beneficial conclusion in other words, practicing psychology without a license. That's exactly what it is. I thought that was such a great line. It is. Practicing psychology without a license. That is true. I know it is. And I want to talk about the way in which you use that theme to get into the circle in terms of relationship building. But I love the section that you broke down, the one one hundredth consumer uh, Calculating base. return on investment on advertising mm-hmm. that people do. And this is important because I talk to people all the time on behalf of radio and TV companies. I talk to their clients. And uh, I spoke with a man named Harry Mackey. He owns a very successful business in Austin called Longhorn Car and Truck Rental. Mm. And he rents cars and trucks to contractors, subcontractors, regular people, church groups that need a big 15-passenger van for a weekend, or to movie production companies, and Austin's real hot on that, or all these subcontractors. And so what I'm trying to do is talk to him and learn some talking points, things that he uses every day in real life to tell people to convince them that his plan is better than theirs. And instead of going to a national rental company... You could come to Harry. Do you know how old you have to be to rent a car in Texas, for example? 23. It's 25. Like a cruise. Yeah. Uh, but at Longhorn, you could be 18. Now, how big a talking point? Huge. It's huge, but he had never mentioned that in any of his ads. In fact, all his ad was was a 60-second dump of cliches. Mm. Uh, our loyal staff of professionals, and then everything in the kitchen sink in that one commercial. We've got this. We've got that. You know, So it's a laundry list, but that talking point about you know, here at Longhorn, instead of being 25, you could be 18. And what would that mean for a contractor who doesn't want to have to go there every time he's got a new driver? And think about how many people work for construction companies that would be in that 18 to 34-year-old demo, mm-hmm. you know, or 18 to 25. Sure. And then, you know, to rent a truck, he said you have to be 21, but at those other places, you still have to be 25. And that's one huge talking point. Mm-hmm. He says, if you get into an accident, if you get into a wreck, we do all that paperwork for you. We will contact the insurance. And none of these talking points were ever included in any of his commercial or things like this. Look, we know what you're going to be using this pickup truck for. So we're more lenient on, am I going to scratch the bed Mm -hmm. or that sort of thing. But these kinds of commercials had never previously come out. So one idea per commercial, and then we rotate commercials. Right. When you go to him, though, or he engages with you, did you, how did that work? I had an example of a terrible commercial that he'd been running, mm. and it was frankly just awful. <laughs> and uh, like I said, again, it's an announcer with a lot of sound effects in the commercial, so a lot of weird noises. There's a guitar solo in the middle of the commercial. All of these things are distracting. <laughs> And then, of course, the announcer just belching out all of these. We're open seven days. Well, who's not? Our address is blah, blah, blah. Our telephone number is blah, blah. Telephone number? Nobody's going to remember a telephone number. I mean, one of the things that Google has provided us with is the best way to the call to action in any ad just is simply just Google us. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what people do anyway. Mm-hmm. And so then you get to a situation where people have static websites. A lot of small companies, oh, my brother-in-law built this website for us, you know, (laughs) 25 years ago. 
and then my sister caught him with a farm animal and you know and and they got a divorce and and but frankly we don't even know how to get in yeah, there yeah we just kept the website the way it is so the salesperson could go from zero to hero in 6.5 seconds saying, you know what, we could probably get into that and change that for you even in a day. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's a backdoor way into selling radio and television. If you can get in and say, oh, we can fix that website and then charge them to maintain that website and then run frequent promos talking about their website on the radio station or TV station, that's Mm cross-referencing. And then you come out with a better whole plan. And uh, like I said, a backdoor sale into radio and television starting with their biggest problem, which is a website. And you've got to think, there are people lying awake at night every night because of issues like this and they don't know who can help them so you go to this guy the longhorn guy in your book you talk a lot about the customer or the client thinks that they have a price in their mind that they should use or the budget in their mind that they should use and it's your job as the salesperson to help them understand the reach and the ROI in a way right. that they yeah, had to, to, to modify their behavior so we can get away from that price point. I asked Harry Mackey. He was spending $1,750 a week on a radio campaign. I said, Harry, where did you come up with that number? And he shrugged his shoulders and literally said, pulled it out of my ass. <laughs> you yeah, know, the truth. I mean, this is radio and television world and people just magically have some number you know where do people come up with the budgets that they spend on media and i think a lot of it is voodoo frankly they don't know where that and this reaches all the way up into the furthest ranks of the biggest accounts on earth and their advertising agencies where do they come up with the budget is it possible that they're pulling that number out of their ass too at some Hmm. point because i went into a lot of detail in my book about where these ideas come from for example let's say that you own an automotive repair shop and you go to a convention your state convention and you hear an accountant in there talking about advertising and he says uh, something like thou shalt spend six to eight percent of total revenues on advertising and where did that number come from I talk in the book about some of the more complicated aspects of advertising. For example, the notion of frequency of three that all of us in media sales have fallen into with companies like Arbitron or Nielsen ratings and that sort of thing. And this whole idea about frequency of three, a psychologist came up with a number back in Mad Men times, back in the 60s, that said, hmm, okay, television is a new medium. And in order for a television commercial to work, a person would have to experience that commercial a minimum of three times mm-hmm. based on what <laughs> and i'm thinking well for example would that be three times a good commercial a bad commercial mediocre commercial for example what if brian at the floor store says i'm going to give a thousand dollars away each to the first thousand people that walk into my door today how many times would brian have to run that commercial and that would be a frequency of one yeah see what i mean mm-hmm and you talk about the number of impressions that people see and hear and experience yes. every day. So um, the- Advertising Age magazine came out probably about 20 years ago saying that the average person is exposed to a minimum of 2,500 commercial impressions a day. Hmm. From the time you wake up in the morning looking at your Sony alarm clock. 
Mm-hmm. And then you go to the bathroom with Kohler written on the toilet. You wash your hands with Dove soap. You go in and you, you have a, a certain brand of coffee and a certain brand of coffee pot and a certain brand of breakfast cereal, Dole written on the banana, whatever the hell. And you turn on the television or you turn on the radio or you turn on something and you hear commercials. You pick up your phone and you start reading messages uh, from advertisers. You get in your car and your car says Tesla and, and there are about a million other cars with different names and dealers and billboards and signs and people who want you to eat here. And by the time you get home and turn on the news and and watch more commercials, by the end of the day, 2,500 different companies have tried to get a piece of your mind. Mm -hmm. So I think of the, you know, look at the top of a consumer's head. And if we could remove the skull cap and look around at what's in there, there are little X's inside that head of the companies that they know and they trust. The circle of trust. And you're not in there. Right. You're not in that circle of trust because you're not trying. They have no idea. They could be lying awake right now at three o'clock in the morning with a problem that you and your company could easily solve, but you're not thinking that way as a company. Mm-hmm. And they have no way of knowing that you could easily and efficiently and effectively solve the problem that they're having. So in the book, you talked about frequency of eight or nine, but I would imagine that today it's even... Well, uh, as a matter of fact, after I, when I was working on that book, Advertising Age changed their commercial impressions from 2,500 a day to 5,000 a day because of the internet. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the amount of time that we're spending online and that many more. Yeah. Uh, so how do companies stay relevant and in, avoid invisibility, which is another theme? Invisibility is is a the biggest problem. Uh, if if I owned, uh, I do, I do own a business, and I know that invisibility is my biggest issue. If I could get in front of someone and explain the difference between good and bad advertising, I'd probably catch a fish. Mm-hmm. Because I know how to do that. Most people don't. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to, you know, and I ask people, uh, salespeople particularly, would you return your email, your voice message, or your text? Mm -hmm. And a lot of salespeople go, no. You told me a trick earlier. Tell, tell me that again about the uh, message, the video message. Uh, oh, I told you that uh, a, a new way in is to include a short video. Hey, this is Brian. I just wanted you to see... This is me. I'm a real person. And I have something I need to tell you. In fact, I think that your competitor is making a huge mistake. And I think that I have a a solution, a way you could take advantage of that immediately. Mm -hmm. Please give me a holler back, you know, maximum 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, So you don't wear people out. That's one way of breaking through. But nowadays, in order to make a presentation to the people that need to hear that presentation the most, first, you're going to have to get an appointment. Mm-hmm. And how are you going to get an appointment if you don't have a headline? You know, well, has a small company just starting out, or somebody who's branching out to be a consultant? It, it, do it doesn't. It doesn't make any difference. The other day, I got a strange request from a person in a small market in Kansas who said he was writing a note to the CEO of Walmart. Mm. the CEO. And he said, what would you put in the subject line? And it took me a couple of days and I figured it out. The best recruitment spot for Walmart you've never heard. Mm. And the guy opened it. 
That's cool. And he got a buy in cool. Ottawa, Kansas for $14,000 for a couple of weeks, which is huge for him. That's amazing. Well, yeah. And uh, the idea was let the Walmart employees tell the story, mm. you know, why they love working there so much and what it's like to be a team member. And we're looking for people right now, and we pay well, and we have good benefits. And, and that was the way, instead of just another announcer-read bullshit recruitment commercial. Mm-hmm. I think one of the best things I ever did was joining Toastmasters because you learn the art of screwing your thoughts down and staying on point and not saying ah and er all the time and having a beginning, a middle, and an end when you're telling a story, engaging people with a headline. Mm-hmm. Learning how to both speak with notes or without notes, speaking completely extemporaneously, which is a real art form. Mm -hmm. Standing in front of either one person or a thousand, you're comfortable either way. But somebody has to drive the bus. Why can't that be you? So I've got a branch off question for you. How does a cousin, how does a prospective date, girlfriend, boyfriend, father, mother, grandparent stay relevant? How do they avoid invisibility in the lives of the people around them? Brilliant. I think that if you're not outstanding, you you won't stand out at all. And I think that there are all kinds of ways to reconnect and build relationships by reaching out and, frankly, cleaning your head out a little bit as well. I think about my impression of certain people that, you know, maybe I at some point really didn't like. Mm-hmm. And when I'd see that person, seeing them would make me angry. And, uh, and so I'd avoid those people. And then I ran into one of those people at a party not long ago, and I just approached him and I said, you know what, Forrest, I just want to apologize to you for anything that I may have ever said or done that offended you because life is too short and I'm tired of thinking about you that way and let you know that I'd like to wipe the slate clean. And he said, Paul, I feel the same way. That's cool. And we shook hands. And this has been 30 fucking years. Yeah. 30 years of this. Yeah. So let me ask you this. In the book, you talk about, here it is. It's right in the beginning, page three. A big part of solving the invisibility effect is by admitting that you have the problem to begin with. But as I read that, I thought, yeah, that's easy to say to somebody who you're working with in the business world. Everyone practices introspection because it's the way for them to improve and in turn be promoted and in turn make more money. However... Not a lot of people practice introspection in their personal lives because it's hard. And you did it to get to the point where you could go to Forrest and say, I had the time to think about this. Life's too short. I'm coming here to say, let's bury the hatchet. But what do people need to do? What's your thought on this? And how can people better practice this introspection and face those demons? Um, First of all, uh, let's just talk a little bit about something. Now, my father was a narcissist. Mm-hmm. He and, and I think if you, you know my sister, Karen, and she would probably agree, mm-hmm. he was a hard person to grow up with. But he did teach me a couple of things. One of them was one of the most mindful things I ever heard in my life. It was a quote from Maslow, the author of that hierarchy of human need. He'd gone to the Far East and he, he came back. He'd been to Tibet Back in the 70s, back before a lot of people were really going there, looking for answers, you know, and and they asked him what he learned. And he said, I learned that, and this is pure Lao, I can feel guilty about the past. 
apprehensive about the future. But only in the present moment can I act. The ability to be in the present moment is a major component of mental wellness. Mm. Yep. So how long is a moment right now? I mean, right now, I mean, right now, I mean, right now, I mean, right now. Now, can you go back to the first right now that I said and change that in any way? Nope. No, that's in the past. Can you change the past? You wish you could, but you can't. Mm -mm. But people regret things from the past and, and it stays with them their whole life. Yep. Or can you accurately predict the future? If you could, I'd say, let's end this now and get on a plane and go to Vegas. Or that, that voice about, you know, the guy hears the little voice and he travels to Las Vegas. I think I told you the story. And the voice keeps telling him in his head, it drives him nuts. Sell everything you've got, everything. Put all your money on the roulette wheel, black 17, black 17. He, ah! And he takes everything he's ever earned, puts it all on black 17. And the dealer rolls the wheel, click, 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 red 16. <laughs> and the little voice goes, fuck <laughs> so you know i mean we, we 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 can't change the past we we have no way of anticipating you know of accurately predicting the future but let's talk about where most of our precious present moments go into either guilt about the past apprehension about the future and meanwhile life is passing you by Life is moving on, moment, moment, moment. I mean, I look at people like, for example, John McCain, who was in a prisoner of war camp in Vietnam and in a tiger cage. And can you imagine what must have been going through his mind? Like, oh my God, if I'd just done this, I wouldn't have crashed my airplane and this would have never happened. Or, oh my God, this really, they hurt me bad today. What are they going to do to me tomorrow? But what he did instead was he focused on bugs in his cell. Hmm. And would watch them all day, trying to remain in the present moment, which is the actual essence of your life. And my father indirectly gave me that. But it's funny, we have the opportunity to change the operating system if we want. Mm -hmm. And replace the old OS that doesn't work for us anymore. Hmm. How do you start that process? You have, to, you have to stop the negative thought. I call this self-actualization, getting something off you. One of the trips Nancy and I took, when I went to South Africa, I, I spoke in Johannesburg, and then we drove to Kruger Park, one of those nature preserves, you know, one of those safari places. And I wish they told me it was a photo safari. Yeah, I wouldn't have shot that zebra. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> we ate on him for about six months. Uh, it was hard getting him out of the country. You know, and the meat is striped, just like the hides. So you get white meat, dark meat, <laughs> is that white right? meat, dark meat. But is it white meat with dark stripes, or was it dark meat with exactly. white stripes? Exactly. I mean, you know, it's, it's confusing at first. Yeah, it is. So anyway, while we were on that trip, uh, in a sideless, topless Land Rover on one of these photo-taking safaris, we noticed a large leopard behind a tree, big son of a gun. And he was looking at me through the crook of a tree. And I had one of those Nikon D80 cameras that makes the choo-choo noise. And he was totally focused on me and that camera. What you do when you're on a safari, there are six people in there, but you sit in this big, stinky Land Rover, no top, no sides. It's got a stinky engine and getting diesel and you know it's kind of noisy but there's an illusion going on there these animals see that every day but it just looks like the big stinky thing again but if you stand up that breaks the illusion 
Mm. You know, so they say, don't stand up. Oh, right. Don't do that. You know, don't break the illusion mm. and everything's fine. And then you're driving through these areas with lions or these dangerous animals, the rhinoceros, right in front of you and stuff. And you just don't break the illusion. But in this case, the illusion was broken by the camera and the animal gets up and starts walking directly toward me. Mm-mm. Nobody says a word, and finally the ranger, the South African ranger, says, Oh, this one's kind of new around here. I don't think we've seen him very often. And he grabs for the gun in the front. And the animal, this leopard, I can hear him breathing. He's and he's walking right toward me. And at the last minute, he turns and rubs the body of the vehicle no where i am i'm just telling you i'm glad i wore my brown safari pants that day (laughs) but anyway as we're leaving i noticed in the beginning how you kept calling it a stinky engine and stinky car i think you were trying to cover your tracks maybe maybe you're right yeah Yeah, i just i just that that load in my britches uh it was it was pretty terrifying and as we left nancy my wife said this she said you know, I think at the end of your life, the last four words you'd ever want to say would be, get it off me. You know, I mean, what did he say about right before he died? Get it off me! You know, I don't care if it's snot or a bug or an animal. Get it off me. But what I'm telling you now is psychologically, people need to get a lot of shit off of them. You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. Get it off me. Get it off me. This is ruining my life. This thinking pattern is ruining my life these people are ruining my life Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that people in this country not very many people have passports i think that a, a big part of expanding your horizon means that you have to expose yourself to other cultures and other people to get a more rounded perspective away from just the people in your area Getting out and and learning something new. I could change my operating system. And you can do this by the power of positive thinking. And I've read numerous books, but there is that one, Think and Grow Rich, Mm -hmm. Napoleon Hill, who wrote that book all those years ago about what all those rich people have in common. And they all visualize success. It's a matter of taking the negative thought, because you asked me earlier, how do you break this cycle? Mm -hmm. You know, there's this little cloud that seems to follow you everywhere, and you're more of a reactive person than an active person. You're always reacting, and that causes the adrenaline buildup and all that. But what if you started acting instead of reacting Mm -hmm. and planning a life by planning and striving to reach goals, goal realization through visualization technique? is the way I've always done it, and it works. Goal realization through visualization technique, it's like this. We had a sales contest at the radio station, and one of the prizes was if you could maintain a certain amount of billing over a period of time, then you would get to go to Hawaii. And I'd never been to Hawaii before. Mm -hmm. And so I'd read Napoleon Hill's book, and I started using this visualization technique. What I needed was to reach a goal of 30000 a month for three months to take this Hawaiian vacation. And so I started writing the number down on little sticky notes, hmm. 30000 And I put those sticky notes on my mirror where I shaved. 
on my rearview mirror in my car, uh, all over my office, that number. And I started thinking about it. And then I used a little daytimer book. And every day I would draw a picture of what I thought Hawaii looked like with the ocean and some palm trees. I got really good at drawing palm trees. And I could see myself lying on the beach. Now, one thing I never thought about were mountains in Hawaii. I never thought about that because I'd never been there before. And all we know is what we've seen or heard before, right? And then it actually worked. And I wound up going to Hawaii thinking, my God, it fucking worked. It worked. It worked. (laughs) I also visualized my divorce. Really? I got a divorce uh, after being married eight years the first time. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't working out. And I could see myself divorced. And then working through it with a legal pad and writing shit down that I needed to get done to get out of this relationship. And I visualized it and I gave her more than she wanted. I just wanted it all to be over. And so these issues come up and instead of treating everything like a disaster, I mean, you know, every day we learn something new or we don't. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying, for those whose lives are miserable, or for people who say, I can't do this, or I'll never do that, I'm telling you that it's probably a matter of simply removing the dark cloud and physically, literally saying, hmm, Paul, it's no longer like me to think this way. Mm-hmm. It's more like me to change and think this way. And then change, consciously change my thought to something more positive. Rick Rubens talks about this concept, because you're right. What you're saying is you have this conversation with yourself. A constant. constant. Now, remember that you're constantly having a conversation with yourself. Sure. So but Rick Rubin points out that when you have these events that are difficult, he talks about getting laid off, losing a spouse, or a death, divorce, these types of things. He said it's really easy if you zoom in to live the anxiety in its whole self. He says if you zoom out, you can observe as if you're watching a movie of yourself. And you just made a point that made me think of that where you said, it's no longer like you to think this way, Paul. It's more like you to think this way now and change that thought. You know, if you're having all these negative thoughts, it's time to start reevaluating. Maybe we need to do a little bit of surgery and cut out some of this crap you don't need to be carrying around anymore. Or if things need to be taken care of, let's take care of business and move on. Like I tried to do with Forrest. And I have a few more people I think I need to get in touch with for my own peace of mind. Yeah, that's cool. Continued on episode three of three of the Paul Whelan interview. 